0: Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, the punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds, we are healed. See, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors.
1: So this morning, uh, Matthew's already mentioned, we're going to be looking a bit at Isaiah 53. But... Um, I'm going to introduce a series today. We're doing a new series about the importance of the cross. Um, As a church, our vision for this year is to be the community of of the cross. And we're talking about the power, um, uh, sorry, we're talking about the, the love, the transformation and the hope that we find in the cross. And then the truth is that as God's people, that's what we should be like. The church should be a place of love, transformation and hope. And as God's people, that's who we should be. That wherever we go, we spread the love of God, we bring transformation, and we share hope. So today, what we're going to do is start the series by looking at the centrality of the cross. There you go. I've got a PowerPoint today. You're going to have to bear with me this morning because you're going to have to work hard, okay? Um, Is anyone up for that this morning? Good, man in the corner, but I'm going to make you think this morning, because we're going to do a thing called theology. Okay, half of you just switched off, didn't you? Oh no, it's one of those mornings. But what we're going to do is we're going to look at the cross of Jesus and see how central it is in the Bible, okay? Okay. Because actually what we need to do is we we look at the cross and we look at going forward and we look at how it's changed our world. But when we think about the cross, we can also look back into the Old Testament. Okay, so the Old Testament, let's just do some basic stuff, is the stuff before Jesus. From creation to about 400 years before Jesus is the Old Testament. And what we're going to show you this morning is how the cross and the death of Jesus is found in the Old Testament. And how then, we're going to go forward in our series, we're going to look at the New Testament. But the Old Testament is full of what happened to Jesus. Um, It predicts what happened to him. Now, if you uh, like numbers, there's a guy called J. Barton Payne, who going through the Old Testament, found there were 574 references to the coming of the Messiah, the coming of Jesus. So he went through the Old Testament, uh, and that is how many books? 37 books. And he went through and he found 574 uh, Old Testament bits that talk about Jesus. There's a guy called Aldri- Alfred Edersheim. He only found 456. He's probably got a C grade for his work. Um, but actually, do you know, when we look at the death of Jesus... There were 28 prophecies, stuff that was written in the Old Testament, that were fulfilled in a single day. So the Old Testament is full about Jesus, okay? That's what you need to realize, because sometimes we get the Old Testament, we just kind of bin it, we don't want to bother to read that. But actually when we read it, if we're looking for those things, we will find them, okay? Okay? So what we're going to do is I think I've got about six or seven passages in the Old Testament we're going to look at very quickly. And hopefully you're going to stay with me. You're going to listen and you're going to understand why we have the cross. Yes? Yes. You're with me so far? Good. Okay. Let's hope that's still the case in 10 minutes. Okay. So what we're going to look is we're going to look at a bit of the Bible called Genesis. Okay. So let's have the first one. Uh, The Garden of Eden. was not the Garden of Eden lovely? There was... um, Adam and Eve, as we know, they were in the Garden of Eden. It was beautiful. And they could have any fruit from the trees except one, which was the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God said, you can't eat from that. And then we know the story, or maybe you don't know the story. And then came along a serpent who was the devil. And the devil said to them, "Uh, how, you know, why, why don't you eat from the tree? Oh, because God's told us not to. And they said, well, you know, it's going to taste really good. And and then when you do eat, you'll be different. You might even be like God. So they decided it's a good idea. We're not going to blame the woman. We're not going to blame the man. We just know it's a team effort. They both decided to eat. And then they ate, and all of a sudden they realized they were naked. They needed to clothe themselves. So they got a fig leaf or two or three probably three or four, and they covered themselves up because they were naked. And then God turns up, and then he says to the woman, you know, actually, from now on, birth's going to be very painful. Yeah, I don't know, but that's what, yeah, I've heard it is. Okay? And then he says to the man, you know, you're going to have to work really, really hard and you're plow the field. and It's going to be really hard work to get anything. You're going to have to work hard. And then, um, this is just me paraphrasing you, by the way. And then he said to the serpent, he said this. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and and between you and offspring and hers. He will crush your head and he will strike your heel. What a weird thing to say. But in those words, he will crush you your head, and you will strike his heel. We have a glimpse of something that is coming. Somehow, Satan is going to be defeated because someone is going to crush his head, literally stamp on him. But he is going to strike the heel of that person. So for the person who does that, there's going to be some consequences which will include, when we get bitten by a poisonous snake, we die. So even in the book of Genesis, there is this thing that is coming. There's going to be the defeat of Satan. There is going to be the death of somebody really, really key. Okay, let's guess who that person might be. Jesus. Okay, you got that right. That's tick. Box number one. Let's talk, about, let's talk about the book of Exodus, shall we, next? No, 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 sorry. We're going to stay in Genesis, okay? So there's a guy called Abraham, okay? God chose him to be the father of the nations. This is uh, found in the book of Genesis. I'm going to take you to chapter 22, okay? So Abraham is really, really old, and God said to him, you are going to be the father of nations. The only problem is he was married to Sarah, and they had no kids, okay? So how can I be father of nations? I've got no kids. I've got no, no, no one to inherit, and... How can I be a father of a nation? And so God said, you know, don't worry, your, your descendants are going to be so vast, it's going to be like the stars in the sky, there's going to be thousands, millions of them. Or it's going to be like the sand on the seashore, the grains of sand. That's how many, that's how many people are going to come from you. And he's going, oh, there's a problem here. I'm kind of 100 years old, and my wife is 90 years old. We're not likely to have any more children, are we? Okay? Things don't work like they used to. But God said, no, you will have a son. And he did. They did. Sorry, they had a son. His name was Isaac. Nice lad, Isaac. Good looking. Great. Got a son. And then in chapter 22, something really, really weird happens. Okay? God says to Abraham, you can read this for yourself, I want you to take your son, I want you to take him up a mountain, and I want you to kill him and sacrifice him. To me. that's really weird, isn't it? You've waited all these years to have a son. And then God turns around and says, now, by the way, I want you to kill him as an offering to me. And poor old Isaac, sorry, well, Isaac was probably, I'll tell you what Isaac thought in a minute. But Abraham's like, really? Really? But you see, Abraham was a man of God, a man of faith, a man who obeyed God's every word. He messed up a few times, but ultimately he was faithful to God. So he says to his son, Son, we're going on a camping trip. Let's load up the donkey. We're going for a father and son bonding time. Um, and so they load up the donkey, they put lots of wood on the donkey, and they go up the mountain, a place called Mount Moriah. Up they go, they go up to the top, and there we're going to have a sacrifice. And, and Isaac's quite a bright lad. He says, Where's the lamb? Um, where's the lamb and can you imagine father saying well actually today on the barbecue is you because exactly that's what happened and so Isaac is then bound and he's laid on an altar woods and all and Abraham gets to the point where he lifts his knife and is about to strike his son and kill him and then burn him on the altar And God says, stop! You don't have to do that. You don't have to do it, because I can see that you are faithful, you've obeyed me, and you don't have to kill your son. Wow. And then, there's these words, which we read here, if you can see them. It says, God, Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. So Abraham knew Maybe deep in his heart that God was going to provide something. And then they find this ram that was in a thicket and they take that ram and they put, him, they put the animal on the altar and they sacrifice it there. So how does that relate to the cross? Do you know, the Mount Moriah is actually the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. It's a place where today there's the Dome of the Rock, a mosque. But actually it's the place where Jesus was crucified. And so when it says about God is going to provide a lamb, the New Testament says that Jesus is the lamb of God. And so the lamb that was needed to be sacrificed, we look ahead to the cross and we can see the significance of what happened. That the the son, the son, we're talking about Isaac being the son, the son was sacrificed. God did not hold back on his son dying. His son died on that same mountain. He was the lamb that was sacrificed. So in the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis, we see the cross already, don't we? Now let's move on, because the book of Exodus is an exciting book. So if you know the story, basically the people of Israel, they were, um, well, they were taken into Egypt. You need the story of Joseph, they were taken into Egypt. And there they hang out for 430 years. And they were slaves. Well, they didn't start as slaves, but they ended up as slaves. And so they kind of cried out to God, God, you know, God, help us, help us, help us. And then a guy called Moses appeared. Moses was to be the savior of the people. And uh, he went to see Pharaoh. It's a bit of a story in between. You have to read that for yourself. He went to see Pharaoh and he said, basically, you need to let these people get out of my, your, Egypt because they've got promised land to go to. And, of course, Pharaoh thought, oh, maybe not. No, you have to stay here because you are our slaves and you make bricks for us and we build pyramids. And, you know, you are got to do all that for us. And then Moses said, well, basically, God's told me you've got to let the people go. If you don't let the people go, there will be consequences. And so if you read the book of Exodus, we have the plague of blood, the Nile turned to blood. And then we have the plague of frogs, we have the plague of gnats, the plague of flies, the plague of livestock, the plague of boils, the plague of hail, the plague of locusts, the plague of darkness. And so it goes on and on. Every time Moses goes and says, you've got to let the people go, and Pharaoh says, no way, you're not going anywhere. And then he goes, maybe you can go. No, you can't. So they go through this whole thing, and in the end, God says, I've had enough of this. I am going to send one last plague. That will be the death of the firstborn. Every firstborn male, every firstborn animal, they will die. And Pharaoh still says no. And So basically what God says is to the people of Israel, he said, "Right, you need to go. You, you're going to be going. You're going to be leaving this place. What you need to do is you need to get a lamb without any blemish, and you need to sacrifice that lamb and have a meal together. But what I want you to do is I want you to take the blood, and I want you to paint it on the doorpost of your house. And so that's what they did. They had the meal, they took the blood, and they painted blood on the doorpost. And what happened that night, there was the death of the firstborn. Pharaoh's firstborn child died. All the, all the families in Egypt, all the firstborn children died. But the firstborn children in Israel did not die. You see, what, the, what happened was the angel of death, as it's described in Exodus, went around killing, the, anim, killing the, the children and some of the animals, When he saw the blood on the door frame, he said, I'm not going in there because the blood has been shed and I will pass over, which is why we have the story of the Passover. Brilliant story. But we come back to the fact that actually here we have what animal's been sacrificed, a lamb, and the blood has been taken and put on the doorpost, which means there is life in that house. Nothing is going to harm them. So when we go back to the cross of Jesus, who was described as the Lamb of God, we also see that his blood being shed means that we don't have to die. Yes? Yes. It's all kind of there, isn't it? We're all digging it out. There's another one. I'm going to move on to the next one because there's a couple more. There's a bronze snake snake story. So the people of Israel, really bad, in the desert. They were naughty people. They kept messing up. Get it wrong, get it wrong, get it wrong. And um, in the end, God got a bit fed up with them. And so what he did, this this is God, so I hope he doesn't do it here. He sent poisonous snakes amongst the people. And when the people were bitten, of course, poisons—they, you know, they're a huge amount of pain. They, they, they could die. And what, and in the end, God said, "Well, oh, I'm sorry, I did this." So He said to Moses, "What I want you to do is, I want you to get a pole and make a bronze snake, okay?" And what happened was, the snake was then put on the pole, and then as the pole was lifted up, this is found in Numbers 21. If you're making notes, verse. Nine, as they lifted up the snake, people looked at the snake, and guess what? They did not die. Now, in the book of John, the writer, he puts these words that actually, just as the bronze snake was lifted up, Jesus would be lifted up. So we have another picture of people living because they look to something. God has provided a way of them being forgiving and having life. It's there in the Old Testament. We just, need to, we just need to see it. Okay, I've got another one. The scapegoat. Okay, this is found in Leviticus 16. Okay, and basically, um, <clears throat> one day a year, in the Jewish, uh, in the Jewish temple or, or world, the, the high priest could go into the very presence of God, the Holy of Holies. He could go in and make a sacrifice. And on that day... It's called the Day of Atonement, one day a year. He would do two things. He would sacrifice a bull, then he sacrificed a goat. And then he would take a goat, a perfect animal. He would then put his hands on the goat, and then he would confess the sins of all the people. He would say, Sorry, God, we've been terrible. We've done this, we've committed adultery, we've committed murder, we've stolen, we've been jealous, we've broken all the Ten Commandments. And he would literally lay his hands on and impart all the sins of the people onto that goat. Okay? And then the goat, called the scapegoat, would be led out into the wilderness, away from all the people, and left there. And the guy who led it, he had a special job. He would leave the goat there, he would come back. And it was like the sins of all the people were taken on that animal and the animal was gone. Isn't that interesting? That all the sins, the bad things that people had done, were placed on an animal, a perfect animal. Let's go back to Jesus, who carried all our sins so in the Old Testament, that one day, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, still celebrated today, was a day when the sins were taken away by an animal. So surely, when we look at the cross, we see Jesus taking all our sins away, carrying that away when he died on the cross. Okay, so we've got one more to do, you'll be very pleased to know the servant. Well, Matthew's done a great job. He's taken all my points. Um, but um, Isaiah 53. In the book of Isaiah, there is a, a, a person called the servant, okay? Um, he does a number of things. He is the Messiah, the person who is coming to save the people of Israel. Everybody's waiting for him. He's going to be a conquering king. He's going to come. He's going to smash the enemies. He's going to give us victory. Hey, we're looking for the king, mighty king. He's going to be big and tough. But he wasn't. In fact, Jesus came. He was humble. He was a carpenter. He was a king, but he hid his royalty and his deity, and he came and lived amongst people, and then he died. And Isaiah 53, get this, was written 700 years, okay? 700 years before... Jesus was born. Okay? That's like somebody writing in the year 1320 describing what's happening in this church today. Can you get that? 1320. Now it's fulfilled in the year 2024. However, you see, God inspired Isaiah. And Isaiah wrote a number of things. Now, Matthew's been through it, and I'm not going to go through it verse by verse. But the first thing it talks about is that the the servant will be disfigured. Did you know Jesus had three trials? On every trial, he was beaten, hit in the face, he was flogged, and he was totally disfigured. Almost like you couldn't recognize a, a face of someone because he had been beaten so much. Hit with sticks, hit with rods, and that was Jesus. And so, this Messiah, the great one, would be disfigured. Secondly, it talks about in verse three, he would be rejected. That people would say, nope, don't want anything to do with him. In the book of John, it talks about how Jesus came to his own, but they didn't recognize him. The Son of God came but they didn't rec- recognize him. And if you look at the, the, the story in the life of Jesus, he starts off as really popular. Everybody loved Jesus. He was dishing out fish and bread all over the place. Everybody loved him. He was healing the sick, etc., etc. He was raising the dead. Good, good man, what a lovely man. And when you get to the gospel, it's almost like the whole world's turned against him. When they say, who shall we crucify? Shall we Christ, crucify Jesus, or shall we crucify Barabbas? The people said, oh, actually... We'll have, we'll have a murderer instead, instead of you. So the people turned their back on him, and they rejected him. Predicted by Isaiah 700 years before. He was pierced. So we know that he was pierced because he was crucified. Okay, the cross is, you know, we talked last week about nails through wrists, and crossing over your feet, and a an, an stake going through both feet, holding him on the cross. That wasn't known at the time. Nobody died through crucifixion because crucifixion was only around for a very short amount of time in terms of the Romans, probably about 100 years. 700 years before this Jesus died on the cross. He was predicted by Isaiah. We move on to see uh, he was punished. Um, in verse 5, and I'm going to get that up because I think that's an important verse. Go back to my iPad. Verse 5 says... But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. So he was punished, not for anything that he done wrong, but all the stuff that we've done wrong. Okay? That's punishment came upon him for you and for me, for our sins. Okay, let's go back to the scapegoat. All the sin people were put on, The scapegoat all the sin of this world was put upon Jesus. Okay, he was silent. He never said a word. It says there that he was silent. He did not speak. Another point in the gospel, it talks about how Jesus could have called down. I think it was, how many legions of angels? Is it 10,000? He could have called down, I think it's 10,000 legions, which is quite a few angels, isn't it? If he wanted to. But he didn't. He went to the cross silently. And there are only a few words from the cross itself. So he was silent. He was slaughtered literally. Took, uh, crucifixion was you were being slaughtered. You were, you were being killed. It was very, very vile. In fact, um, we're going to be looking at that in a few weeks' time. Just the pain that was on the cross that Jesus suffered because it was such a terrible death. Okay, we did, he was then buried. Okay, um, he was put in a tomb of a rich man. Wow! If you know the story of Jesus, you know that he was given a tomb only for the weekend of a rich man. Tomb of Joseph of Marathia. He just borrowed it. But he was buried with the rich in his death. Written 700 years before it actually happened. And then we just talk lastly about he was exalted. And I'll read you these verses, because these are amazing verses. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I'll give him a portion among the great. He'll divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death, and was numbered with the transgressors, because he was seen as a criminal. For he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Wow. So when you look at Isaiah 53, a bit of 52 as well is in there you will see that that was all predicted pre Jesus. And when he died on the cross, that's what we see. So you've done a quick tour of the Old Testament, okay? You can go home, tell your friends, oh, I've studied the Old Testament. But it's just amazing, isn't it, that actually in the Old Testament we see so many things that point to the coming of Jesus And the importance of the cross and God's purpose in Jesus going to the cross. And when we look at Isaiah 53, there's three things I just want to pick up that come out of those verses. That we have, it says there, we have peace with God. Okay? We have peace with God. What does that mean? It means God and I are good. That I can know God in my life. And have peace with him. And boy, does the world need peace. And I don't just mean Gaza and Ukraine and, and the places where war's happening. People's hearts. Boy, do they need peace. I wonder how many people you've spoken to who say, I'm struggling with anxiety. really struggling with that lack of peace. And as we think about our children, how many of them are struggling with anxiety? And probably as they get older and enter their teenage years, the challenges that they face and the anxiety they suffer with, suffer with it seems so much where people do not have that sense of peace. And Jesus died on the cross so that we could have peace with God, but we could have peace within our lives. Jesus said, I give you peace. Not like the world gives. But he gives us peace that is deep and longer lasting. And that's why Jesus died, to give us peace. And it says that very clearly. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace is upon him. And by his wounds, we've been healed the death of Jesus brings us peace. And maybe today you don't have that peace. Well, I want to say that you can find peace in God. You can find peace through the Holy Spirit and in Jesus Christ. It is there for you to take and to enjoy. The next thing that I just want to bring out was that there was forgiveness. I just read those verses, but it says, we are all like sheep who have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressions. Here we go again. This whole idea that the sin of the world was placed on Jesus. Just like the scapegoat. And you and I today can know forgiveness of everything that we've ever done wrong. And again, people do. They carry around a lot of guilt. And sometimes it's a real burden because of the things they've done. It weighs so heavily. But when Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross, he found and won forgiveness for you and me. For everything that we've done wrong. The Bible says that God has buried it in the deepest sea. He's taken it as far as the east is from the west. It is gone forever because of Jesus. The people had to come back again and again and again in the Old Testament. Let's make another sacrifice. Let's take this lamb. Let's take this dove. Let's take this bull. More blood, more blood, more blood, more blood to be forgiven. And yet you and I can be forgiven because of one death, the death of Jesus on the cross. Do you want to be forgiven? Find Jesus for yourself. And then lastly way number three salvation goes on in verse 11 after suffering his soul he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge my righteous service servant will justify many justify many justify is a very strange word isn't it most of you justify things when you're writing your letters and it kind of makes everything square in the end doesn't it but actually as far as Christianity is concerned, justify, it's it's basically saying I've never, just like I've never sinned. My sins have been wiped away, I have been saved, I I know God in my life, it is there for you to receive. Why? Because Jesus died on a cross. How much does it cost you? Well, the price has been paid. It just means giving our lives to God. Saying, here's my life, because you gave your life for me. We can know God in our lives. This is truly amazing because of the cross of Jesus. You know, the people of Israel, they have to go back again and again and again. They just got a small glimpse into what God was like. But through Jesus, we can know God in our lives for ourselves. And then lastly, <clears throat> oh, here we go. If you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you redeem from the empty way of life handed down to you by your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, you can have new life because of the cross. And at that point, everybody said, Amen, has he finished? But you can. And that's why Christianity is such brilliant news. And, you know, to think about the cross is hard and it's difficult sometimes. But the great thing is what we get because Jesus died. We have been forgiven. We have peace with God. And we are truly saved. And our response would be the last verse that's going to put up there, which is, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Because that's what Jesus did. And surely we are to walk in his ways and to follow him and follow his example. So today, I would say to you, Jesus gave everything for you. What are you willing to give to God and to him? Amen. Let's pray, shall we? Let's take a moment to... Maybe respond in our own hearts to what God has said to you today. It was lovely we could just spend that moment with bread and the the juice in our hands just to reflect. To think about what God has done for us. And to think about the cross. As we stand looking at the cross and seeing a man bleeding to death, what is our response? <coughs> Lord, we thank you for the cross of Jesus. Lord, we thank you that you sent him into this world and that he was willing to obey you and he willing to give his life upon a cross for us. Lord, today, as your people, we say thank you. Thank you for all that you have done for us through Jesus. We thank you for the, for the peace that we have with you. We thank you that we have been forgiven. We thank you that we have salvation, that we are right with you today. I just want to pray, Father, that you would help us to live for you, to follow in the footsteps of Jesus and give ourselves to you each day, that you might use us to share and show his love to others. Father God, we pray all this now in Jesus' name. Amen.